Welcome back to Love Letters Bound in Cold Handcuffs with me, Amy Bouhassen. I'm the co-director of the Lee Miller Archives and the granddaughter of Lee Miller and Roland Penrose. Last time we heard Roland's remarkable poem, The Road is Wider Than Long, which recalled his and Lee's trip they'd taken in the summer of 1938. However, Roland had to leave Lee early to get back to Paris and start organising the exhibition of Picasso's Guernica that he was bringing to England. The fact that Roland broke off this amazing trip with Lee tells us how important it was for him to get back. He was planning a tour of Picasso's painting Guernica, the picture that Picasso painted as a response to the bombing of the small Basque town by airplanes lent to Franco by Hitler and Mussolini. Picasso had offered to lend Roland the painting to tour around Britain to try and raise money for the Joint National Committee for Spanish Relief. So it's easy to understand that Roland had a lot of arrangements to put in place for shipping, insurance and everything else, and so he was anxious to meet Picasso in Paris on his way home to England. Thursday, 8th of September. My darling, I think of you all the time. It is the only thing I can do with pleasure, stuck in a train like this. I can go over in detail all the marvellous things we have done together and long for you again and forever. My neighbour, the girl you saw looking out of the window, has been teasing me about my exhibitionism on the station at Bucharest and pretending to be very shocked. She and the Frenchman with whom I sleep are not bad company. But I think of you preparing for the Bukovine with envy. Lee really did have to prepare for this journey. She and Lena and Harry were planning to go way up north into the Bukovine, which is about 300 miles from Bucharest, and they wanted to visit the Kumor Monastery, well known for its fabulous frescoes painted on the walls there which they wanted to photograph and, and, and see again. And they had a lot of fantastic adventures, both on the way there and the way back. I hope I haven't left too many things undone. I meant to write letters for your send-off, photos and lots of other things which I hadn't time for. I've been writing my diary and will send it to you typed when it's ready. Darling, I want you more than ever. Let me have news of you, wherever you are, and try to come soon. With you, life is very good. Without you, a lot of trouble, mostly, for very little. Give my love to Harry and our other friends. Take care of yourself, my lovely. I shall write to you a long letter as soon as I get home. At the moment I feel too lost, gloomy and tired. The thought of seeing you again soon is the only thing really good. All my love forever, Roland. Hotel Paris Dinard, Rue Cassette. Paris, Sissem. Saturday, 10th of September. My darling Lee, I'm furiously miserable without you and miss you terribly. After having lived beside the most beautiful and adorable pie-face in the world, it's very difficult to settle down to be alone. 
Here I'm lucky to have found Paul and Noosh and a lot of other friends. They all ask after you, and Paul and Noosh are sick at not seeing you. I wasn't able to see Victor Brauner until this afternoon. He is in a hospital and getting better. His courage is quite extraordinary. He talks about his own accident and the gruesome goings-on around him in the hospital with fascinating sang-froid. Probably by now you have heard the whole story, but in case you haven't, it seems to have happened like this. Dominguez, the Spanish painter, got drunk and started laying out a friend of theirs during an evening party in his studio. Victor tried to separate them and received a blow from a piece of broken glass which smashed up his left eye completely. They took him to hospital and he was operated on at once. Fortunately, though he has lost one eye completely, the other is apparently all right, and he expects to be out of hospital in about a week. Everybody is very furious with Dee, but owing to Victor being discreet, which was very decent of him, the police have not interfered, as they easily might have done. I wrote you a note in the train telling you about my companions. Actually, when I wrote, the fun had hardly begun. The Romanian girl you saw through the window was so much intrigued by our farewell kisses that she could not let the matter drop, and what you had thought would be an obstacle to success turned out to be just the opposite. Already before dinner time, she was in such a state of lechery that she invited both the Frenchman and me to do everything to satisfy her. The result was exactly like what one reads about in books, but what doesn't often happen, especially when the wagon-lit man tried to come in at the wrong moment and seeing his mistake took it all very discreetly as an excellent joke. After dinner, the seance was continued with more success, especially as she turned out to be very pretty without her clothes. The Frenchman, a nice old bear with a large family, he showed us photos of them, took it all in a very nice friendly way, and we parted next morning, all three the best of friends. Probably I shall not see either of them again, but it was certainly the most unexpected and charming adventure I have yet had on a train. I have decided to stay here until Picasso arrives. That makes me pretty sick, though as far as the show is concerned I did well to leave Bucharest when I did. But I now have to wait about here until he turns up, so as to fix everything. I telephoned him at the Montgris this morning and have written since. With luck he will be here by the 15th and I shall be off at once to London. Meanwhile I long for news of you. What are you doing? Have you had news from Egypt? What are your plans? I hope the weather is still good and that you have been able to go to the Bukovine with Harry, that the car behaves itself, and I think of you a lot and sometimes feel a bit frightened that you may get into difficulties in some way or another. If you do wire me, even if it's only to change a wheel. I must now run off to dinner with the Eluards. Goodbye, my love, my darling. I will write again soon. I love you. Roland. Paris. Thursday, 15th of September. Darling, I'm leaving for London tonight or tomorrow morning. Once I get there, I shan't have much time to write to you for a few days. 
I'm sick at not getting news of you. Probably I shall find something in London. The situation in Europe still looks bad. Every hour or two there are special edition of the papers with some new scare. Paris takes it all with surprising calm. No crowds on the boulevards, no sign of troops, but a certain tension in the atmosphere. I wish you weren't so far off. The brewing international crisis concerning German nationalism and the fate of Czechoslovakia finally erupted in September 1938, resulting in a very real threat of war in Europe. Like Austria, Czechoslovakia had been created from the remains of the Austro-Hungarian Empire after the First World War. Its independence was guaranteed by France. But some 22% of the population who lived in what was then known as the Sudetenland were ethnic Germans. They had little in common with Czechs and Slovaks and did not wish to be part of Czechoslovakia. Following his annexation of Austria, Hitler sought control of the Sudetenland, threatening war if his demands were not met. A German propaganda campaign fabricated stories of Czech atrocities being perpetrated on the Sudetenland Germans. Despite treaty obligations, neither France nor Britain were ready or willing to go to war. On 15th September, the day of Roland's letter, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain flew to Munich to negotiate with Hitler in person at the latter's home in Berchtesgaden. The atmosphere was very tense. I have just been talking to Mann on the phone from Antibes. He is staying there with Addy until 1st of October. He asked after you. Victor Brauner is out of hospital and getting on all right. I had lunch with him yesterday and talked a lot about Romania. The famous Yanko that I was looking for in Bucharest is not a restaurant, but an architect Dadaist and one of Victor's best and most original friends. My darling, do write to me. I long to know what you are doing and what your plans are. This letter from Christie was sent on to me by Trepotin. Love to Margit, Harry, Zoe. Lee, I want you to come soon. Roland. I found my Greek photos. Lee is still in Romania and she's writing this postcard to Roland in London. And it's a it's a black and white photograph on the front of the postcard. It's a beautiful building, which is the Humor Monastery, and it's covered with paintings of hundreds of religious scenes all over the outside of it, which is considered to be one of the kind of masterpieces of Bukovina, which is a region in Romania, best known for its many churches and, and monasteries. And it has no date. Darling, we're seeing paintings inside and outside of everything. Also, we painted the town red before leaving. It's all wonderful and covered with mud and rain. There's no benzene anywhere and lots of fleas. Do you remember Tuka Tuka Tam Tam and Dada? I'd forgotten them, wallowing here with peasants and priests. I miss you and love you. We've had miraculous adventures. Ten days of evil eye. Your Lee. There's also another little note on the postcard from Lena Constant, who is a Romanian national that Lee and Roland met when they were out there and Lee became friends with. And she's written a little note to Roland in French on it. 
Nous avons fait un splendide voyage et tu tends en face de vous. Maintenant, tout est fini. Lena. She says, we all had a wonderful trip and all in front of you. And now everything is finished. Lena. Paris, Friday, 16th of September. Darling, I tried this morning to telephone to you, but the Hotel Splendide said you had moved, perhaps to the Splendid Park, so I gave it up and sent you a telegram. Things in Europe seem to be going from bad to worse, and I think a certain country is bent on making trouble, and that nothing will stop them until there is a general bust-up. I think you ought to leave Romania at once. It is certain to be one of the first countries to be drawn into the soup, and I wouldn't advise coming out by the Orient Express, which crosses too much dangerous country. Better buy Italy, Yugoslavia and Switzerland, unless, of course, you take a plane or come round by sea. Written a long margin. I write this after reading the news of Chamberlain's return to London. Darling, I don't want to be alarmist, but things look really serious, and I have been talking to well-informed people who all seem very pessimistic, though there is no sign of panic anywhere. At any moment in the next week or so, we may see the road across Europe finally cut. And what then? Throughout September 1938, Neville Chamberlain engaged in frantic diplomacy, travelling to Germany three times in an attempt to broker a peaceful solution to the Czech crisis. The belligerence of the Axis leaders during the negotiations fueled a consensus of public opinion in Britain and France that Chamberlain's efforts would fail. War with Germany and Italy seemed not only probable, but imminent. At the same time, there was extreme violence in Palestine, thanks to the Arab revolt. Roland feared that Lee would be trapped in Axis-controlled territory, if not an active war zone, making it impossible for her to reach safety in Egypt, France or Britain. As to your car, you might be able to leave it in the hands of the Romanian Automobile Club. Get them to send it back for you. And your luggage in Athens can always be sent by cooks. I know it won't be easy for you to decide which way to go. And if things do settle down again after all, as there is still a slight chance they may, you will be sorry to have thrown up the chances of a trip in Syria and other adventures, but seriously, darling, after a lot of thought, I urge you to pack up and come to London at once. There are two routes, north or south. Poland, difficult because of passport, or south by Yugoslavia, etc. I say this because unless you come right away, the direct route by land may be dangerous. Probably the best way is via Athens. At any rate, I want you, my darling, and these events in Europe seem to force you to decide at once if you want me or not. Because if once the pot does boil over, we shall probably be separated for a long time to come. I have had no news from you yet, but hope to find a letter waiting for me in London. Probably you have been having a marvellous trip in the Bukovine, far from all the alarms that we have been living through in Paris. Telephone to me if you can. Ham 4116. The best time is between 7 and 8 in the morning, or during the night, but it is best to send a warning to me first, so that I am sure to be there. Picasso and Dora arrived here yesterday in good form, 
and they asked after you. Picasso has a wonderful Afghan hound who eats holes in his clothes and Dora a Persian cat. I think Picasso may have had more than one Afghan, but if the one he's referring to here is called Kazbek, it's probably the one that appears in a great many of his paintings. Everyone thought it was rather appropriate because Kazbek was always as thin as a rake, and this fitted in very well with everybody else during the German occupation of Paris because there wasn't much food about and they were all thin too, so they felt the dog was in sympathy with them. Having finished the arrangements for the exhibition I'm off home today, it seems quite likely, supposing things do settle down, that Picasso, Dora, Paul and Noosh will all come to London during the show. Lee, I want you and news of you. Let me know when to expect you. You stick around in my thoughts, so that I'm always wanting to smell you. Feel your wonderful great breasts. Talk to you endlessly about all sorts of problems that you and only you know all about. Sleep beside you, wake up beside you, and love you forever. My love, come quickly. Roland. So this is on Lee's good old deep blue and purple paper with its matching envelope and its types. But she's not back yet. She's still travelling. She's this time in Bucharest, staying in the Hotel Splendid. And she's writing to Roland in Hampstead. The postmark on the envelope is the 22nd of September 1938. And she's still with Lena Constant and with Harry Brauner. And Lena has also signed the letter with Lee, and they both signed it in red pencil. Darling, forgive me for what will seem negligence. You were never more than half an hour from us all the trip. It's as if you'd seen all the things that we'd seen and had all the adventures that we went through. Possibly half of them would not have happened had you been there, as you would have had better judgment than to have got stuck in the mud just because a couple of horse thieves told you that the road was the first before the bridge instead of after the damn thing. Nor would you have got involved with self-styled agents de police who were bandits or who knows what because you always make sense. Besides which, I'm very drunk because there isn't any war according to all the telegrams of the afternoon and I'm leaving on the boat on the 26th for Alexandria and no one knows whether I will make the trip in Syria or not. I love you and miss you. Lena and Harry send love, and are sorry for me because I'm lonesome for you. Lovely and Lena. 27 Sept Lee, my darling, I was delighted to get your letter which arrived last week. That now seems a long time ago, and I don't know half enough about what you are up to. The Bukovine trip sounds record in adventures. I wish to hell that I had been with you. I send this to... Alex crossed out. Cairo, hoping it will get you some day. Here there's the hell of a mess and me, wild at the probability of being cut off from you for God knows how long. Everyone is being prepared as though war was certain, and we go on calmly preparing a show which may never open. After a month of extreme anxiety in Britain, 
the powers reached agreement in Munich on 29th of September 1938. Czechoslovakia was to cede the Sudetenland to Germany. Chamberlain secured Hitler's recognition of the independence of the rest of the Czech state. The Prime Minister hoped he had secured peace in our time, but it was clear that Hitler's ambitions would result in war before much longer. The British government's preparations for war, already in hand, speeded up and were heavily publicised in the press. In addition to expanding and re-equipping the armed forces, large-scale measures to prepare the civilian population in Britain and avoid panic were widely publicised. Air raid shelters and gas masks were distributed and extensively photographed. Planning for the evacuation of children from cities and the rationing of essential supplies were put in hand, as were the introduction of emergency measures, such as government control of information, censorship, propaganda and anti-invasion devices. We go on all the same, with the spectacle of people on all sides quietly packing up and leaving for Ireland or God knows where. As there's only one place where I should like to go, and as I don't know where that is, since it's somewhere on a ship in the eastern Mediterranean. I just give it up, work all the harder with Tripotan for the show. The great thing about Tripotan is that as the situation gets steadily worse, he gets steadily better. He is now in better form than I have ever seen him, whereas when I got back he was like hell. Otherwise I've not done much. I went to see the Goldfingers who are staying next door to the lions and kangaroos at the Whipsnade Zoo. The Goldfinger Roland refers to is Erno Goldfinger, who had been a friend of Roland's for some years around that time. Goldfinger was an architect of some distinction, and he was at this moment probably living out at Whipsnade because his famous house at Willow Road, which is now a National Trust property, was not finished until 1939. And in fact, he tried to sell Roland a similar design at the same time as he started to build Willow Road. But Roland wasn't interested at all. He didn't like that kind of style of architecture. Goldfinger seems to have been rather a disagreeable character. And it's said that Ian Fleming modelled his Goldfinger in the, uh, in the movie of the same title after Erno Goldfinger. I went for a walk up a hill and saw not one but six lions. <laughs> but you weren't sitting down below washing your feet in hot, stinky water. So it was just as though I hadn't seen any. These photos are damn bad. Wallace Heaton must have got the jitters too because they make me very sorry to be so far from you. I wish you would send me some of yours. My darling, my duke, my adorable Lee, the sooner you can fix yourself to come and stick with me, the better for us both. I love you. Roland. Written along left-hand margin. If things do settle down, as perhaps they may, Paul, Noosh, Picasso and Dora will be here next week. Next episode, Lee writes an account of the last weeks of her adventure and Roland is having funny dreams and climbs into bed with a previous lover, the art collector, Peggy Guggenheim. <laughs> <laughs>
This episode's contributors were Anthony Penrose, son of Lee Miller and Ronan Penrose and co-director of the Lee Miller Archives here at Farley's, and Hilary Roberts, Senior Curator of Photography at the Imperial War Museums, London. Roland Penrose's letters were read by Adam Grayson and Lee Miller's and the narration is by me, Amy Bouhassem. The music was composed by David Cullen and the series is produced by Tolly Robinson. This series is copyright the Lee Miller Archives 2021, all rights reserved.